Everyone eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. Hi, it's Stephanie from Fresh from the Field. We are seeing several categories with shorter supplies right now. Avocados, celery, corn, onions, potatoes, lettuce, and more. While we expect items in the Salinas Valley to improve quickly, corn may take a bit longer because of the rain that we've experienced in the southeastern regions of the United States. If you're looking for some alternatives, check out hydroponics. While supplies aren't as large as our fields, there's some fantastic options for regional volume. Check out Fresh from the Fields interview with Sensations out of South Carolina on Produce Alliance's social media Instagram or Twitter. Today's guest has a genuine enthusiasm for the food service industry, having spent over 50, yep, 50 years in the business with brands like Red Lobster, Aramark, Fazoli's, Long John Silver's, and Applebee's. He now serves as a consultant and advisor to professionals like you. He currently serves on the board of directors for the National Restaurant Association's Supply Chain Expert Exchange and is a proud supporter of the Rosen School of Hospitality at the University of Central Florida. In his most recent position for a company that operates more than 1,600 restaurants in 29 countries and two U.S. territories, he sat as the Senior Vice President, Chief Supply Chain Officer at Brinker International. Charlie Lusignan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lauren. How are you today? I'm great. All right. So Brink International owns Chili's and Maggiano's, and Charlie specifically can speak about the advancements in the supply chain field, given his experience, and how large companies are able to coordinate really the work that goes in behind the scenes to bring all the food and drinks into a place that serve hundreds of people each day around the world. It's really a massive operation when you think about it. Um, so, Charlie, I'm curious out the gate here, what key principle drives the decision making um, in your career that that gave you the most success or you kind of centered your practice around? I would say that um, the one thing that I think is kind of foundational um, would be to always keep the your stakeholders uh, front and center and uh, in your decisions and the stakeholders, um, you know, in any restaurant organization, you know, first and foremost starts with the guest. Uh, that's what we're all rallied around to take care of. And that's uh, central to the business. Um, and then from there, you know, we think about uh, the operators, you know, because they're the ones providing the guest experience. And um, so we have to make sure that, um, you know, they're considered as well. And also, you know, we've got, uh, you know, your own restaurant support organization. So you want to make sure you're considering, you know, your peer group. Um, you know, the other functional areas. Uh, but we also think about uh, our supplier partners as well, because they're, they also uh, are key stakeholders. So I think trying to make sure that you're aggregating all those interests and making sure you're coming up with the best decision uh, for everyone is, is critical. I love that. So your operators and supplier partners um, and just thinking about the customer. 
I heard somewhere that if you want to solve the problem, you get down into the store or restaurant in this case. That's the answer to all of your problems or to your questions. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to when you started your career in food service specifically. What do you feel to be the greatest improvement over the course of time um, up until most recently? Yeah, well, I also want to clarify 50 years, that's taking some generous math there. I'm, I'm counting the day that I started uh, my first job at the age of 14 as a busboy in a uh, a small little cafe. So greatest improvement in supply chain and and going back, you know, to, to 14 years old, it can start there when you worked in restaurants just as a busboy. I think that's a fantastic place to grow foundation for, um, you know, becoming on the executive side of the industry. Um, you know, what sort of improvements either in technology or um, perhaps just data visibility, supply chain, uh, do you feel have improved the most over time? Yeah, you know, I think like everyone else touches every industry is what's happened with uh, with computer technology and data. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's almost overwhelming. You know, when I think back about early on, um, you know, I actually started my career, professional career out at a graduate school in the finance and accounting function. And I remember some of the things that we were involved with back then were, you know, doing freezer audits, you know, so actually climbing around and sub-zero temperatures and and counting inventory. It was a tough job, but it just kind of shows you those are the types of things we used to have to do um, with a lack of a da data infrastructure that, you know, that's pretty much exists everywhere today. So I think that's first and foremost. Um, but I, I would also say that just the uh, the understanding about supply chain and, and how critical it is. Uh, you know, when I first started in uh, professionally in supply chain, supply chain professionals were were really you know we were buyers um and really kind of po processors um so the idea that uh the profession has become more sophisticated uh and really more of a sourcing strategist um that's kind of uh that's evolved over the last uh several decades and i think uh, with you know what happened with covid it really shined a light on on the critical nature of supply chain so i would say those are probably the two biggest things uh, just in terms of data, uh, which, you know, obviously affects all of us, but in particular in supply chain, uh, but also just how the, uh, uh, the function, uh, and the, uh, how supply chain professionals in the food service industry are, are thought about. Honestly, I've never heard of the term freezer audit. Can you, can you describe a little bit about what that process involved and, and why it was done? So, uh, well, first of all, this is, goes back to my, uh, early days at uh, General Mills Restaurant Group, Red Lobster, which is now uh, subsequently became, became Darden. Of course, Red Lobster now is an independent company. Um, but, you know, we took physical possession of uh, a lot of our seafood products. And so we had to, you know, it was quite a bit of inventory. And so when I was in the accounting function, um, you know, we, we obviously had a ledger that showed what, you know, where our inventory levels were. But, you know, given the fact that it was uh, on the books, we had to actually go on occasion and put on freezer suits, climb in there, um, get back behind pallets and count, you know, cases of crab meats to ensure that uh, it was all there because any, you know, missing product, you know, would, would have a material impact on the business. That was when I decided that I probably needed to do something other than uh, be an, uh, an auditor or an accountant. That's fascinating. 
Everyone eats out every day and people don't think about how the food arrives on their plate. Managing supply chain for a large restaurant group comes with so many decisions, as we've said, and the management of many different costs. Some of these include energy and fuel costs, logistics and freight, manpower, labor, and investments in new technology. So hearing these, tell me, how did you keep track and control costs in, in some of the previous positions you were in? The key, and when you think about managing costs, it's really, um, you know, first of all, I think uh, you have to think about it with the perspective of total cost of ownership. Um, it's not just, you know, what, what are you paying for ground beef? Uh, there's 20 questions behind that. You know, you know, what's your, what's your specification and um, what's your delivery frequency and, and things like that. So it's never, uh, rarely is it a, a binary uh, response to, you know, what, what the value is. So I think that's the, the one thing that, you know, drives up the best decision-making is making sure you're, you clearly understand the total cost of ownership. Um, and, you know, from the, from the standpoint also of making sure that each product is going to have to carry a certain approach that's different depending upon your brand. Um, you know, so, you know, we at, at Brinker, you know, the suppliers that were most uh, important to us were the ones that support our, our key pillars that we've identified, which are, uh, uh, burgers, crispers, uh, and, and margaritas. So if you're, if you're touching the guests in any of those categories, um, because that's what we're known for, um, then yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have a different type of transaction. Uh, it's going to be more of a strategic relationship. So that's, that's, I think first and foremost, how we have to think about, um, the, the value proposition. And you start talking about making supply chain decisions. Oh, I love that, breaking it down to key pillars. It's very interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, how about understanding true cost by item? I, you mentioned cost inputs and understanding the total cost. Um, how were you able to truly get down to that with your supplier partners and or did it involve just getting out into the, the fields or waters um, wherever to kind of understand just from the, from the ground level, you know, where it comes from and the costs you know, involved in getting it all the way through into the restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that um, I think is absolutely critical um, when you're when you're responsible for a category or the procurement of a certain item, is you really need to understand how that product finds its way into the restaurant, and uh, which means you really need to partner with your supplier to understand uh, the challenges they're facing. Um, you know, have a really basic understanding of, uh, you know, their economics and, uh, you know, what they're dealing with. Um, you know, I've never met a supplier that didn't want you to be completely informed, um, mm -hmm. because I think most really good suppliers know that their best partner is a well-informed, uh, buyer. And, and so they're always willing to share that information and educate you. Um, and I think it's a critical component of being a uh, good supply chain person is you've got to really understand that so that when you're making decisions on behalf of your company, you know, you're in a position to maximize that value. You know, there's nothing worse uh, as a buyer if, if a supplier is investing in certain aspects of making that product that don't bring value to you and your guests. Um, if they, you know, if they just are guessing that's something that you want, where in fact, you know, it isn't something that you need. And so I think, you know, really understanding your product specifications, but also really understanding the implications for your supplier 
and you know what that means for them in terms of their efficiency. So I think that to me is one of the things that um, requires uh, sometimes uh, you know boots on the ground, you know getting out into the field, understanding you know challenges the growing conditions, uh, and then when you're in a processing plant, really talking to the production manager and understanding the challenges that they're facing and um, and talking about the products that they're making for your brands and really trying to understand, hey, you know, uh, is there a better way to do this? And really asking people that are actually putting their hands on their product and producing it for you, you know, if there's a better way, a more efficient way to bring this to market. Two things you said there uh, really stood out to me. And one of them is just ensuring that you're a well-informed buyer and how that really solidifies the partnership with some of your suppliers. I think that's very, um, very solid. And then second is, is understanding the investments that your supplier may be making in your product and perhaps any of those that may be, you know, not important, not critical. Um, so very interesting as we, we continue to understand the importance of that solid partnership and communication between uh, supplier and buyer. So thank you for that. All right, let's talk about uh, growth. And um, you know, I, we've, we've had guests on the podcast that can kind of articulate understanding growth um, within the U.S. and across state lines and some of the dynamics that are involved there. And then also some of the interesting things in consideration if you want to grow outside of the U.S. What is your experience in particular with um you know, managing a supply chain that is within the U.S. and perhaps goes outside of the U.S. Um, and some of the challenges that occur as a result. Yeah, we could spend a couple hours talking about that. And I've been involved in a couple organizations where we had uh, operations in Canada that mm -hmm. um, that we had to support. And, uh, you know, without making any disparaging comments about our, our neighbors to the north, um, uh, if we think, you know, we think we have a lot of regulations here in the United States. I can tell you that there are some countries that would just, you know, you, your head would spin. And so the idea about when you're supporting growth and in particular international growth, it really just sets up a whole different set of um, uh, uh, challenges and opportunities. And uh, for the most part, you know, you, you really need to understand, you know, the, you know, FDA or USDA equivalent in, in the respective countries you're going into and really trying to make sure that, you know, you're making uh, the best decisions. Um, because what seems very, um, you know, just in terms of ingredients, I mean, just trying to understand, you know, you have an ingredient here in the United States that's widely used and then you go somewhere, you go to Honduras or you go to Yemen and it's banned. And so, you know, then you're going back to a signature item and you're saying, okay, we have to take this uh, ingredient out and then that just starts this whole other problem solving uh, issue. So, um, yeah, there's there's just so many uh, 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 levels of uh, complication with that. But the good news with all that is, generally speaking, you know, you're there's there are people out there who have the experience going to help you navigate that. And I would say when it comes to international sourcing, when you're trying to set up a supply chain internationally, um, uh, it's always important, I think, to get good partners who can help you navigate that. Um, and, you know, and of course, you know, supporting growth here uh, domestically um, is, you know, is a great problem to have, you know, anytime that you're growing and, and you're, you're adding suppliers and your suppliers are growing organically, I think that's fantastic. And, and that's actually uh, 
uh, that's when that's when business is fun. When you're going through business reviews with your suppliers and they're saying, "Hey, you know, we're up 25 percent year over year," and they're happy, we're happy. So um, that's uh, that's a much better place to be versus uh, obviously, yeah, the inverse of that being down uh, year over year. Yeah, absolutely. We have concepts that are, are you know growing like wildfire across the U.S. and Canada is typically the first place that they head to next and even just down to the financial translation um you know and 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 understanding weights and case weights and all that it's you know understanding the the economics just at the unit level is a way different ball game but also something that's interesting is if we're going to really take it globally um understanding how the palates may change um in terms of flavor and and taste profiles and people in in different countries prefer this instead of that and just watching how you know one order guide or one um, spec sheet can really ebb and flow across countries would be fascinating if if you truly had the ability and the team to kind of um, ride that process. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really interesting to me. And it is, um, you know, for example, I, I think, you know, most recently at, at Brinker, I remember visiting some of our restaurants in the Middle East and obviously baby back ribs are um, kind of at Chili's, you know, we're known for our baby back ribs. Well, um, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to serve a pork uh, back rib uh, in the Middle East. And so we have beef ribs, um, mm. which, you know, again, just just things like that where you you have to adapt. And I and I would say for the most part, when we have guests that visit our restaurants over there, you know, they, they completely understand. So it makes perfect sense to them. Um, but again, you know, just knowing that you're having to source something um, that, you know, you, you're not sourcing here in the United States. So that one is, you know, one where you're really uh, relying upon your, you know, franchise partners and your supplier partners and country to help you, help you figure out alternatives. Excellent. All right. So we face challenges all the time here in what I would call the wild, wild west of at least fresh produce and specifically in the supply chain. Um, you know, tell me as we're somewhat professional problem solvers in the business, you know, what is a specific disruption you faced in the marketplace um, over the course of your career that wound up, you know, leading to a, a great strategy and perhaps something that you wound up continuing to use? One thing that I, I think about that was, uh, um, you know, a complete disruption. So for those of you who might have some experience in shrimp farming, know that it's been, um, Shrimp aquaculture has had a lot of issues where they've had diseases that early on in the uh, first few decades of the industry, they couldn't quite figure out. So uh, we've had cycles where, you know, entire um, countries have just been decimated in terms of their ability to produce shrimp. And when I was at Long John Silver's, we had a situation where that happened so that the, the shrimp uh, weren't growing to their normal, um, uh, you know, 4150 size count. And so that was the count that we used at Long John Silver's. We're going into Lent. Obviously, we're selling a lot of seafood and we can't get shrimp that size. And so we could get them small, but obviously here in the U.S., we eat with, with our eyes. So we count shrimp. Um, so we actually came up with uh, taking two shrimp, right, that were essentially half the size of the regular size shrimp and putting them together um, in a very natural process. Uh, and then we uh, battered and breaded them, and um, uh, we were able to have shrimp for Lent and still keep our peas count. So 
it it really was uh you know not something that anyone would have thought about or could have contemplated but it certainly beat the alternatives um and i can assure you that our operators were quite happy to be able to have a shrimp to serve even though it wasn't you know an ideal one piece so that's one that i i you know was personally involved with and that thing came together you know over about a, a 60 to 90 day period so it was pretty you know um pretty remarkable when i think about it and every challenge there's an opportunity it's awesome and this question i'm most excited to ask you just in my conversations you um have such a, a great character, high integrity, and in fact, were referred to uh, by a previous guest of ours, and, and I can see why without too much pressure. Oh. <laughs> but looking back um, and just managing people and, and being um, parts of teams um, inside the restaurant, but also out, you know, what did you do to ensure that any any team team member stays motivated and can even uh, thrive in, in the environment? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I would tell you that, uh, certainly, um, my ability to work with people and, and things like that, um, much, much better at it at this stage than I was certainly early on. And I made a lot of mistakes to get, um, to get to where I'm at today. And, uh, I think I've earned every, you know, uh, gray hair that's uh, what's left <laughs> on my head for sure. Um, but the one thing that I think uh, going back to my, you know, 50 years, which started uh, at the age of 14 is, you know, as a busboy, and if you think about the food service industry, it's probably the most entry-level position you can have in the, in the food service industry. Um, but when I had that job, I just thought I was all that in bag of chips. I mean, it was so cool to know that I was getting a paycheck and I had responsibilities and, and things like that. And so that job was important to me. And I think that one of the things that it actually helped me is when I got into the corporate side of it is a kind of a recognition that, you know, uh, these team members that we have, every single one of them uh, adds value uh, and are absolutely critical. And, you know, not all of us get to be CEOs um, and, you know, but CEOs, are nothing if they don't have a great organization of people, uh, you know, working together. And so that's something I've always tried to do is try to remember that, you know, um, every person that uh, would be on my team, that they're incredibly important to what we're trying to do. And, you know, it's, in, it's incumbent upon me as a leader to always remind them how important their role is. Um, because, you know, nobody wants to go to work, uh, yeah, you know, work their butts off and not, you know, not to feel appreciated and not to understand the value that they're bringing. So I think always trying to make sure that you're connecting people to what they're doing day in and day out to what we're trying to do as an organization and how that really supports, um, you know, in any restaurant organization, which is really taking care of that guest and being able to take care of the operators who take care of those guests. Yeah, I think that's something that's become um, very important today is people want to see and understand um, the result of their work. And I think the the greatest leaders are those that expose that, remind them of that, and encourage them as a result of that, make those connections. Recently, you visited your alma mater as a guest lecturer, and um, 
specifically where you went to, to business school. I believe you got your MBA. Tell me about what, what it was like to walk back on your college campus. How was the food there? <laughs> but specifically, what did you speak to them about? And share us a little uh, bit about that experience. Just for clarity, I got my master's degree at the University of Miami. But yeah, it was, uh, well, first of all, I was just completely humbled to, that they would ask me to come back um, uh, and, and talk to this next generation of, uh, of leaders in, in business. And it was, uh, it, was, it was really interesting, you know, and, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, we like to think of things, you know, I'm obviously a baby boomer and you, and you start talking about generational cohorts and in terms of their life experiences. And, um, you know, you've got, you know, I was actually talking to some people that um, weren't even alive during 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that, you know, for most of us, we, we talk about where were you when, uh, when that happened. And so just understanding that, and, and, and this is a group of, uh, you know, future leaders that, you know, have never known anything except for a digital experience right? They just take that for granted. Um, you know, whereas, you know, I'm still, you know, uh, my kids will embarrass that I'll say this, but it's the truth. I'm, they're constantly rolling their eyes at call them up about, Hey, how do I get this fixed on my iPhone and, uh, things like that. But yeah, it's, it's one of the benefits of having, you know, adult kids. So you get your technical advice for free. Um, but yeah, the one thing that was really, uh, neat about talking to this, uh, group of, uh, uh, students is just their real um, excitement about entering into the workforce. Um, you know, many of them had a lot of concerns and trepidation about, you know, the economy and what was going to be out there uh, waiting for them. Um, and again, when you're, you know, when you're, you know, 18 to 20 years old and you're thinking about, you know, what's next, I mean, your perspective, you just don't have the the ability to sit there and say, well, you know, me personally, I know that I've been through so many different business cycles and not to get, you know, overly concerned about it. They will ebb and they will flow. And to try to explain to them that, look, you may not have as good of a job market that maybe have existed for, you know, two classes before, but whatever's there will certainly work itself out. And um, actually that question that I got posed was, you know, what advice would I have them? And my advice to them is don't let um, uh, your pursuit of perfection be the enemy of the good, which is you may not get that ideal job coming right out of uh, school just because of the state of the economy or whatever's happening in the industry that you're looking to pursue, but find something that's going to allow you to learn and to grow and to establish and learn, um, you know, the, the important things you need to learn in terms of growing your career. And, and recognize that, you know, at some point the economy is going to flip back, it's going to grow again, and those opportunities are going to present themselves. So to try to help them kind of keep a perspective that's a little bit more of a longer view. I love that perspective on business cycles um, and, and how they do tend to ebb and flow. One of the greatest pieces of advice I've received just being a mother is love the stage you're in. And it kind of reminds me of that, right? So um, if, if you're not a fan of it, it's going to change soon enough anyhow. So just, you know, appreciate what you have and, and what's unique about it. Um, but also I love that, um, we're talking about the next generation coming in because being on the hiring end, it's interesting to, to meet those that really just kind of want to roll to understand and learn more about the business and, and specifically from um, fresh produce category management. Um, you know, I'm, I'm scouring for anyone with 
data analytics and technology strength um, because we can teach them produce and we've certainly staffed up in terms of FSQA folks and buyers and procurement that understand everything from the seed to the to the soil um, about the products that we sell. But being able to bring in this new generation to to help us really dive through the data, you know, supplier scorecarding, um, tracking KPIs by grower, all those things are becoming so um, powerful, you know, as we kind of diversify the talent on the team. So I think it's so great to to open up, um, you know, the throw off the bow lines and really kind of look at all opportunities because, you know, everyone brings a different strength and perspective um, to the content at hand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's kind of, you know, when you sit there and you were talking about, um, you know, understanding the soil and the seed and, and that's the one thing that's, I think is really to the benefit of the, the produce industry today is, uh, the whole idea about visibility to supply chain. Um, you know, there was a time, you know, people really talked about, you know, you know, pick your produce items and it was pretty much a commodity and no one really thought about where it came from. Um, but you know, if there's been one, you know, positive thing, uh, at about, you know, that's come about in terms of people wanting to understand, you know, what they're putting in their bodies is this whole idea of, you know, really having that supply chain visibility and really understanding that how products are grown, how products are made. Um, and I really think that, um, you know, it really does play to the, uh, the strengths of the industry, because that's something that obviously, you know, is, is central to what, uh, the industry is about. And that connects with what the uh, uh, the consumer wants to know and understand. So, um, you uh, you know, as an industry, you know, uh, the produce industry I think is really well positioned uh, to capitalize on where the consumer is continuing to uh, trend to. Yeah, our customers. I mean, as a result of seeing all the flooding in Salinas, the big question at hand right now is where are the growing regions within my suppliers? You know, outside of California, how can we diversify specifically? Um, the regions of which our ingredients are grown in, if not only the suppliers themselves, um, you know, and and it's it's fascinating. So when we get asked these questions, we turn around and and by asking our growers those questions, you start to see this ripple effect of wanting to make impact um, based on again just listening to the customer and what they feel is most important to feel secure, so they can deliver product to their to their customers in the restaurant. Um, so fascinating just to kind of see, you know, how the business is evolving. So we've talked a lot about the past, um, certainly your experience all the way from freezer audits and seafood buying and how challenges have shaped, um, new ideas such as shrimp for you. So cool. Um, I'm curious if you could just kind of dream and scheme with me for a minute and look forward. Um, you know, where do you see the restaurant industry, food service industry going? Um, in the best ways, if if it was just up to you and there's there's no guardrails or rules about it, you know, what do you believe to be the greatest need that could be satisfied, you know, in the future? The one thing that I think we learned from COVID at Brinker, we really were the first, uh, one of the first to market with a virtual brand. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, we were quite successful at that. And, you know, we flipped a casual dining uh, chain into a, you know, strictly takeout model, delivery model. But the one thing that I think we came back from that um, is this idea that, you know, what restaurants provide to people um, beyond just giving them 
you know, the opportunity to have a meal and get their calorie consumption is, is providing this opportunity for people to connect. And the one thing that I think that, um, when I think about the restaurant industry is despite the fact that it's become, you know, in society, we become very much, uh, you know, virtual conversations and everything's, uh, through a social media platform. The one thing that's kind of magical is this idea of uh, a family and friends gathering together around a table enjoying a meal together and, um, and really connecting with one another. And so I think that when I think about that, that's something that, um, you know, and I, and I do know that I too participated in some virtual happy hours, um, but it's <laughs> not quite the same thing. Uh, but you know, you did what you, what you could do. Uh, but the one thing that I think is really, uh, that I just love about this industry is, is this idea that what we do, um, it, it matters and it doesn't just matter just because we're earning a paycheck and we're driving value for our shareholders and driving value for our supplier partners, but it matters because we're actually creating an opportunity to give people the chance to come together. And I think that's really special. And I know that's something that, you know, really motivates me. And so when I think about supply chain and, and I think about that, and I certainly have talked to my team members about it, um, is you know, when you think about your job, yeah, our job is to take out inefficiencies in the supply chain, work with our suppliers and eliminate inefficiencies and lowest landed costs and all those other things. But at the end of the day, that also has the benefit of being able to create value to the consumer. And the more people, the families that are out there that are, you know, you know, uh, you know, mom's an EMT, dad's a teacher, and they've got two kids and they've come back from softball and swimming and they just want to sit down and and have a meal together to know that you're able to provide enough value so that the prices are where they can afford them and they can come together as a family so i think trying to make sure that as you know as an industry that we remember that we offer something that's really special and i think it's really important to uh, uh to u.s consumers i'm obviously really passionate about uh, the industry and Think it does a lot of great good for uh for us no i think that's a beautiful answer and i'm i'm so glad that you said it i think i think we all need to hear it sometimes and be reminded so thank you all right so take us back to elementary school charlie for a minute what is something that you learned early on in life that is strangely relevant to supply chain uh, i think Probably just this whole notion of, you know, how you, how you treat people, how you, uh, interact with people. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably, you know, when I think about, um, uh, elementary school and it was about, you know, um, having to get along. And when I think about, uh, elementary school and it's, and trust me at this age, it's hard to remember back to elementary school, but uh, from what I do recall, that that is something that I think's, um, you know, really relevant um, as as you think about building your career. And actually, it was one of the things I talked to the the, the students about um, when I was at UCF is this whole idea of really building relationships and um, connecting with people. Um, because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm you know thrilled to have been able to have the opportunity to you know have this incredible career in supply chain and the food service industry, but um, what I'll always remember is really the friendships and the relationships that I've built, um, you know, through my career. And that's what you really, uh, uh, find value as you look back in your rearview mirror. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting when you think back to elementary school. Okay, how did we get along with people? That was probably the, you know, the biggest thing that I could take away for today. And it's true because where where we're constantly solve problem solving, we really rely on the people that we work with and the relationships we have in the industry. Um, but also, you know, if speaking from a, a supply chain or director of procurement, you're not just in charge of fresh produce. You're not just in charge of protein. If you can dedicate trusted leaders in each category and keep that line of communication constantly flowing, um, you know, that's, that's very valuable. So I, I think that's a great answer. Completely agree. Okay. So something I got to speak with you about is your fresh into retirement. And I cannot imagine what it's like going from high speed day in, day out work um, to just enjoying your day to day. So for our listeners that either are a year or two or five away from retirement, um, you know, what are some things you can share just from the early standpoint of, of being in this, this new phase of life? Yes. Well, uh, the good news is I've got a lot of uh, friends and mentors that have uh, preceded me on this uh, retirement path, and uh, I've gotten uh, lots, lots of good advice. Um, you know, one of which is, uh, you know, even though you can, you probably don't want to be in your pajamas at 11 o'clock. So um, try, try to make sure you're not developing any bad habits like that. Uh, but but yeah, it is, um, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're working full time, right, we're always trying to make time for all the things that's really, that are really important. You know, you know, for me, you know, I like to keep an exercise routine and, you know, that's really important. And, um, you know, try to make sure that you're, you're, you're making time for the things that are important for your physical health, mental health, and things like that. But yeah, it is really interesting to find yourself, for me, in the morning, having a cup of coffee and finding something online that I, I, I want to read. Normally I'll bookmark that and, you know, go to the office and find out some time to read it. But now it's like, well, I can read it right now. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I know that sounds really silly, but that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, just to be able to do that, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I definitely enjoy a lot of it. The thing that I probably miss are the people connections, right? Um, you forget that when you're working, you've got all the people that you're working directly with and you've all got the people you're working indirectly with. And, um, you know, a lot of our supplier partners, we see, you know, two, three times a year and that's it. Um, and so that's probably the one thing that I'm, I'm looking to try to figure out how I, um, uh, you know, solve for that, if you will, or create a proxy for that is how do we stay connected? So uh, that's the thing that I haven't quite figured out yet, but you know, it's, it's still only been a few months, so I'm, I'm sure it'll come along. Um, but yeah, it's um, um, having a plan and making sure that you've got, um, you know, tasks and some things that you can at least feel productive, even though you're not driving, uh, you know, leading a, a supply chain organization. Um, a lot of other things that, um, you know, that create challenges, you know, for example, what am I going to do with my two dogs today? And, you know, making sure that I get their feedback and, um, on, you know, how their, how their day's going and, uh, stay engaged with them. And soon to be a grandfather. So you are expecting your daughter's expecting your first in the family. And I'm sure that's going to start to keep you very busy. Congratulations in advance for you there. Thank you. Um, the little guy is supposed to be due this week, but he's uh, he's being stubborn. Doesn't seem to want to uh, arrive on time. 
Um, but I can tell you that, uh, at least from his mother's side, uh, he comes by that honestly. Uh, so I think, you think that that's, uh, uh, I think he's probably just going to, when he decides to do it, he'll do it, which is very much like his mother. Um, but yeah, we're, it's our first grandchild. So we're incredibly excited. And, um, even as we're having this conversation, it's in the back of my mind and, you know, when we get done with this conversation, is there going to be any update on my phone about, you know, uh, you know, we're making progress. So oh, fun times. So great. so great. It'll be just in time for Mother's Day. And what a special, special opportunity to celebrate with your family. Okay. So here's a couple rapid fire questions I love to close with. Um, and then we'll make sure that people can get a hold, hold of you and find you online if they have a question. Um, or just want to build a relationship based off of what you said today. Um, you know, again, we've had several conversations leading up to this call and um, I've met a lot of people, but you have got such a great spirit and soul and are a wealth of information. So I'm very appreciative for our time today. Um, talk to us about a daily habit that keeps you grounded. Yeah. So I think as uh, Jim Valvano that, you know, his famous uh, SB speech when he talked about you know, if you have a day that you, you know, you laugh and you cry and I'm paraphrasing that, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good day. So, um, I, I'm kind of notorious, uh, 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 crier. I mean, you know, I'm, I've been known to cry at supermarket openings. Um, <laughs> so, but I, but I would say to kind of always try to make sure that I'm doing something, um, you know, it's intellectually stimulating thought-provoking, but also something that's, um, you know, touches my heart and making sure that I, um, uh, don't lose, um, that empathy. And, um, so yeah, I think kind of making sure that either through what you're reading, uh, you know, conversations you have with people, um, or, you know, what you're, you know, watching, uh, online, you know, to make sure that they, we all want to talk about our businesses. We all want to talk about what's going on with the economy, things like that. But I try to make sure that I, I'm also um, exposing myself to things that are more uh, about the human spirit as well. Balance. That's a great answer. How about a tool or a strategy in your workday previously that saved you the most time? Uh, yeah. So I think uh, really this whole idea of, of trying to make sure you understand what's critical and what's urgent. Um, and, and recognizing that sometimes what's really, really critical isn't necessarily immediately urgent, if that makes sense, and that you don't want something critical suddenly to become urgent. So the idea of making sure that you think about those things that are really, really critical to what you're responsible for and making sure that you are making progress towards them. And, um, because, you know, especially in supply chain, right. It's always, we joke about it all the time. It's Friday at four o'clock is when you get the notice that, Hey, we're, always. we're out of products going into the weekend. Right. Always, um, always, you know, and so it's, uh, it's, it's not a Friday in supply chain unless, you know, you're running out of something going into the weekend. But what I would say is a lot of times running out into the weekend that's critical, but that's something that probably needed foundational solutions started uh, well before that. So I think that to me is the one thing that when I think about my day-to-day -day job, it was always about, okay, what is it 
Is there anything out there that I need to make sure that I'm spending some time on following up on because I don't want to be there Friday at four o'clock calling operators to say you're not going to have product to take care of the guests? Yeah, it's the difference between issue spotting and problem solving in a sense. Um, or you could say that, you know, experiencing that Friday at four o'clock a week or a month prior kind of prepares you better for the next Friday coming up just to make sure your bases are covered. So again, while it's challenging to work in a role that you're constantly putting out fires, I feel like we become well-trained in, um, you know, be- becoming solution providers um, and also just having the confidence through some of those situations too. Um, as as we kind of expect them to happen, it's just a matter of how we're going to handle them and lead our teams to handle them in the moment. So, okay, to the next generation of supply chain procurement buyers, even operators. What is your best secret that you're willing to share with us? Um, yeah, I would say uh, you can't know too much about your categories, right? And and to not and and. That to me is uh, uh, really, really important, right? It's important, uh, as I've mentioned. So, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about the whole early about, hey, if, you, if you're partnered with your supplier and you're understanding uh, how they're bringing that product to market, you're going to collab, you know, work a collaborative relationship, get rid of inefficiencies, lower costs, everybody wins. Um, but it's also important to be able to understand all those dynamics. Um, so, when there are those uh, inevitable Friday at four o'clock or there's some other quality concern or uh, continuity supply issue, you can speak to it um, uh, credibly, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's another thing that we forget about uh, on the supply side is, hey, listen, you're, you know, you're going to have to represent um, the issues that are impacting the business. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously produce, you know, when you start talking about, you know, we've known it you know, as long as we've been growing lettuce out in California, that, you know, two times a year is the lettuce isn't going to be uh, as good as we want it to be. You know, it's really just this, we joke about it all the time, it's counterintuitive is, you know, lettuce prices are highest when the quality is the worst. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, um, and believe it or not, there are many operators that you have to really help them understand that. And once you explain it to them, they get it, right? Yeah. But Um, but it's incumbent upon us as, uh, people that own the supply chain are making those decisions that we're also communicating effectively, uh, to our internal stakeholders. So they have confidence, uh, and they can also, uh, explain that to the guest as well. Yeah, absolutely. Lettuce makes a move. Definitely major topic right now as we're getting to Salinas, if not already there. All right. Who's been a mentor for you and in what way? Well, I've had a lot of, lot of mentors. Anyone who knows me knows that um, probably my wife, uh, is Kathy, has been a, a great mentor. She actually had a dotted line reporting relationship when I met her. Um, no kidding. Uh, yeah. So, and of course, the typical follow-up joke as well. Now you have a solid dotted line, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that's all true. Um, but yeah, she's been, uh, she actually decided to pursue a different career. She's teaches uh, children with autism and is fantastic at that. But how she decided to stay in supply chain, I have no doubt she would have, you know, uh, achieved every bit of the success that I have. Um, and I would say they're also um, another really important mentor for me is uh, David Parsley, who I think most people in the industry know. 
Um, David, um, I learned so much from David. Um, you know, he was just a, a fantastic teacher, really tough teacher. Um, definitely had some moments when uh, I didn't think I was going to make it through the day, uh, yeah. but you know, really took the opportunity to grow and learn from that. So, um, when I think, when I think about mentors, he's definitely somebody who, uh, I, I owe a great deal of my professional success to. I like it. This has been my favorite question to ask as people have given a variety of answers and, and coming from a burger chain yourself, you know, what is the staple produce item for you or in your opinion for, for a good burger? Yeah, I'm really old school because, um, I have to have, uh, lettuce and tomato on my, my burger and, um, you know, and I know with these kind of gourmet burgers, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're going to put, you know, caramelized onions and yeah, which is great. Or they're going to put some blue cheese on there. But for me, um, I, I've got to have, um, lettuce and tomato and also onions. So, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, so that's, uh, um, but I understand that's not necessarily today's today's palate, but uh, for me, that's it's not a burger unless have those three things on it. Lettuce, tomato, and onion. Got it. All right. Where can people find you, Charlie, if they want to reach out, pose a question, or get some some support on a subject or topic? Yes. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so that obviously uh, pretty easy to find me if you can spell my last name. Um, there's just a, a handful of us on LinkedIn. Um, most of which I'm related to, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that probably be the easiest, but, um, again, if you can spell my last name, it's charles.lusigno at gmail. And, uh, yeah, I would love to connect and hear from people. And, uh, like I said, just, uh, uh, even, even if we haven't worked together, would love the opportunity to, to work with, uh, with anyone and help them in their, in their supply chain journey. Charlie, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you, Lauren. Enjoyed it. And to our audience listening, if you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about our podcast, Grounded. Um, this has been another exciting episode, and we will see you next time. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining. For show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, and an insatiable appetite to improve.